0: Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you today. And uh, right at the beginning this morning, we're going to dive right into Scripture. So if you have a Bible or can get your hands on a Bible, if you're joining us online, you can grab one or these will be on the screens behind me. We're going to start in Psalm 73. And if you're in our banding together reading journals, you know we did Psalm 73 in the last week or so. And uh, this speaks really, really directly into our sermon series on Desiring God, especially this week as we conclude that series, and here is what the psalmist has to say in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26, the last couple of verses. He says, "'Whom have I in heaven but you?' He's addressing God. "'And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever.'" when I read those verses, uh, thinking through this series and thinking through what it really means to desire God, uh, that phrase in verse 25, earth has nothing I desire besides you, jumped right out at me. And I looked at the footnote in my English Standard Version study Bible, and it pointed out that this really means that if the two were set beside each other, anything, the best that that earth, that this life has to offer, set next to God, the psalmist would choose God every single time, that earth has nothing I desire more than God. And I thought, well, that's pretty powerful, that's pretty profound, but my, my eyes also looked at these, this phrase, my flesh and my heart may fail, and I thought, you know, our flesh and our heart, these are centers of desire in us, in our lives, that, that we have fleshly desires and we have the passions of our heart and we, we think of our, the heart as the seat of emotion, the seat of desire, the seat of, of how we come to love another person, whether that's a human being here on earth or God Himself up in heaven. And as we put those two together, I wonder, well, how do we get there? How do we get to the point where we can say, as the psalmist says, earth has nothing I desire besides you. When I put anything, the best that this life, the best that this earthly existence has to offer next to God, it has nothing I desire compared to God. And then I thought, well, how close am I? How close are you? How close are we? And if we really seek to answer that question, I would imagine that there's a continuum. That there are some that would say, I couldn't be farther away. Me and God don't get along. I'm upset with Him. I'm frustrated with Him. I'm not aware of His activity in the world. All the way over on one side, but then on the other side would be people like, I would echo that statement. I could say that right now with total transparency, total authenticity. There is nothing that this earth, nothing that this life has that I would desire more than God. And maybe you find yourself somewhere on that continuum. And I would say God is willing to meet you wherever you are on that continuum. And His desire is that we would be steadily moving, consistently moving closer to that place where we could echo what the psalmist has to say. I don't believe we get there by accident. I don't think we stumble into that place where we say, earth has nothing I desire. My heart my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I don't think we stumble into that, but I also don't believe that it's reserved for some spiritual elite, that only a few in Scripture ever got to that place, and that none of us here and now could ever hope to get to that point where we would say, earth has nothing I desire besides God. I think that's available to us. And as I was thinking about how we get there and what it looks like to get there, another psalm came to mind, one of my favorites, Psalm 37. And maybe you're familiar with Psalm 37. It's a psalm that David wrote. And in Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4, David says this. He says to the people, essentially, trust in the Lord and do good, live in the land and cultivate faithfulness oh i wonder if we could cultivate desire and then the next verse says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart now when i was younger and less mature in my faith i latched on to that verse and i thought oh so if i delight myself in the lord he'll give me everything my heart desires that's not what it says So I had a misunderstanding, and so I thought, well, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord like as much as I possibly can, and He's going to give me the truck I want, and He's going to give me the house I want, and He's going to give me the lifestyle I want. He's going to give me everything my heart desires, but that is not what the Word says. It says that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, He literally gives us the desires that abide within our heart. And as I sought to delight myself in the Lord, I found that I didn't desire the things that I used to desire as much. And I desired new things more than I had desired those old things. And suddenly I didn't really care if my car was 15 years old with 240,000 miles. I kind of actually felt good about that. And I, I didn't care that my house wasn't as big as some other people's house. And my lifestyle didn't measure up to some other people's lifestyles. Because I had decided to delight in the Lord, some of my desires had changed. He had given me new desires and different things sort of wound my clock, so to speak. And that psalm became true. But, but as I reflected on that, my, my mind kept going back to this idea of the power of cultivation, of cultivating faithfulness, cultivating desire. And I believe that we can cultivate desire. You see, cultivation has to do with creating an environment in which things can grow. The things that we are trying to cultivate can grow. And so if you talk to an experienced farmer or an experienced gardener, they know a lot about cultivation. They don't make the plants grow. That's a wonder to me, how a seed, dirt, air, water, and soil, sorry, dirt, air, water, and light can turn into a plant can turn into a tree. It blows my mind every time I let it that this tiny little seed, an acorn, can turn into an oak tree. Explain that to me. I know I read the books and I went through, I think it was freshman science class where we talked about it, but still, you can, t- you can explain it all day long, I still think it's a miracle every time. Like, how does that work? How does dirt turn into an oak tree? How does brown dirt and clear water turn into a beautiful flower? I kind of settle on the only God explanation. I'm sure scientists have figured some theories out. But I really think it belongs in God's book. And so we can't make things grow, but we can create an environment in which they're likely to grow. And a good farmer or a good gardener does that. They work the environment And I believe that we can cultivate desire in our own lives and we can work on the environment of our soul, not necessarily our soil, our soul, in order to cultivate desire, in order to create an environment where desire is likely to grow, to thrive, to flourish, to reach maturity and bear fruit. And so today we're talking about cultivating desire desire. And I have a couple of uh, illustrations here on the table with me. Uh, One of these has been cultivated. The environment has been crafted in order to create the best opportunity for things to grow and has the benefit of time, which we'll discover is pretty important. This one, see, like a couple, three weeks ago, we planted a squash seed in here, and we set a place on our counter where we could bring our seedlings up and so they were getting plenty of light, they were getting plenty of water they had good rich new soil and it's off to a good start we might even get some squash later this fall this one I cut a bottle in half and I scooped out some dirt and I poked a seed in it and I watered it a little bit in the first service um, but it hasn't started to grow yet so I'm going to give it a little bit more water because we know plants need water and we'll see how that one turns out. I'm going to put it real close to the Bible so that uh, it's touching the Bible and I'll have the best chance to grow. I mean, it got up, it got ready, it came to church, right? And we'll see. we'll see if we can learn anything as we explore this analogy of cultivation, looking at a plant but making parallels into the soul of our lives, and this message kind of builds on week three. This is the last week of our Desiring God series. If you missed one of the weeks, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. If you think of somebody that would be encouraged, it's really easy to share. You can share through the podcast, through our YouTube page, through our Facebook page. Uh, send them to our website. There's all kinds of ways for you to stay connected, especially as we head into summer. Be here when you can, please. Be here when you can. Be seen. Shake hands. Give hugs if you're comfortable doing that. Be here when you can. When you can't, join us online and keep track and keep up with your family and family. Because I believe that if we will decide, kind of look into this analogy, that we'll find that there are some things that we can do that will build some resilience, that will build some hardiness, that will build some endurance and create an environment where desire for God will grow more often than not in our lives. Our bottom line today, you'll hear it early, you'll hear it often, is this improve your environment and you'll increase your desire. If you improve the environment of your soul, and we'll look at some different ways that we can do that, it will increase your desire over time. And so the rest of the time that we spend together, we'll expand this illustration in sort of a parable. And I don't think it's perfect, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to be helpful and to give you some, some handles on things that you can do to help cultivate your desire. Now, most plants need at least four things in order to grow and produce fruit. They need light, they need air, they need soil, and they need water. If you completely remove any one of those things, your plant probably is not going to grow or not going to grow very well. If they have the right amount of each of those things and good sources, good quality, then the plant will flourish and thrive. And I believe our souls are the same, and yet I've drawn parallels between each of those elements that a plant needs and to the things that our souls need in order to cultivate desire. So first is air. I'm sorry, first is light. First is light, and I decided that the Word of God best correlates with the light that a plant needs. You see, David wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's Word illuminates the path for our lives, and that if we don't have His Word at all, we're stumbling around in darkness would be the contrast. But if we have God's Word, it is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. It shows us the way to go in the sense of morality, in the sense of determining God's purpose for our lives so that we can walk not just in morality, but walk in purpose. And there's an interconnectedness within several of these that we'll see. But if we think of God's Word as light, and as the light unto our feet the light unto our path. There's a couple of Scriptures that come to mind. The first is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a great passage of Scripture speaking about God's Word where the Apostle Paul writes from prison to his understudy Timothy who's pastoring a growing church. And he says this about God's Word. Pay attention. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's Word does a lot, doesn't it? It equips us for the good works that God has created for us to do, and it does that. It equips us by teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training for righteousness. God's Word does that in us, and our souls need to be taught. They need to be rebuked sometimes. They need to be corrected sometimes. And so God's Word It's like the light that reaches this plant, and that's a whole other sermon, (laughs) but all of those elements, the teaching, the rebuking, the correcting, are necessary to us at various times and in various ways, and all of them work together to help cultivate desire. But there was another passage that came to mind, and one of my favorite chapters is Colossians chapter 3. I've done series on Colossians 3 here before. I might do another one. And uh, there's a phrase right in the middle of Colossians chapter 3 that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whenever I think about dwelling richly, I think of a castle for some reason. Have you ever been in an old castle Have you ever been able to go to one as a tourist and and go through it? We went through one uh, when we were in uh, Victoria, British Columbia. It was called Kragder Castle. It was fascinating. It was luxurious. But for me, the quintessential castle is Neuschwanstein Castle. You've probably seen a picture of Neuschwanstein Castle before. It's in Germany. It's sort of this iconic castle for me. In fact, the castle at Disneyland was inspired by Neuschwanstein Castle with its circular turrets. And if you've ever been inside of one of these castles, they don't just look impressive on the outside. Every luxury that was available to humanity at that time is present in these castles. And when we were in Cragter Castle, the whole castle was paneled in English oak. It was spectacular. There was a richness to it that you can't really describe. There was luxurious furniture everywhere you went, and it was designed for the person who owned that castle to dwell richly in that castle, not just to be an occasional visitor and to spend a night in the shack in the backyard And so the question is, how does the Word of God dwell in your life? Does it dwell richly? Has every accommodation been made? Is it dwelling there or is it just visiting once a week? These are questions that you can ask, particularly if you would say your desire isn't growing or hasn't grown in some time, perhaps some time in the Word. A deeper, richer experience in the Word might help cultivate a desire for God, a desire for God's goodness to come into your life and come into the world through your life, which is what we talked about last week. Because the bottom line is, if you improve your environment, you'll increase your desire. And maybe this is speaking to somebody today. Maybe, maybe you're spending time in the Word. Maybe you're journaling. You're reading your reading plan, and you have a regular habit of engaging Scripture, not just reading it, but engaging it and asking it to get inside you and direct you. Well, then maybe, maybe it's prayer. See, I correlated prayer With the air. And it could have been the Holy Spirit, and I went back and forth and I said, Don't get bogged down in the details, Mark. Prayer is like the air that we breathe. Prayer prayer is necessity to us to grow scriptural grow in our desire. Prayer is essential. Whether it's spoken, whether it's silent, whether it's written. Whether you're doing it individually or you're doing it with people, prayer is an essential ingredient to cultivating in de- desire. It's an essential ingredient to growing in our desire, to the environment that we're seeking to cultivate. Our souls need to interact with God through prayer. And there's too many scriptures to list on this one, but I would direct you to the book of Psalms if you're looking for samples of prayers. The book of Psalms is essentially a prayer book. It's essentially a hymnal for the, the Hebrew people for centuries and centuries and centuries. It was how man cried out to God, how man responded to God. And that's essentially what prayer is. As Eugene Peterson has said, prayer is answering God. God has revealed Himself to us through His Word. God has told us who He is, And how we can be in relationship with this God who has created us in His image and created us for relationship with Him. Prayer is our response to what God has revealed. And thinking of it in that way shifted some things in me. And maybe it shifts something in you. I was listening to a sermon, and Tim Keller was talking about this, and he was quoting Eugene Peterson, and he was he's saying, if somebody sat down and spent an hour revealing the deepest, darkest depths of who they are, not darkest, the, the deepest depths of who they are, as God has done through Scripture, and your response to them was, I'd like a boat. I would like my headaches to go away. I would like this and this and this, and we bring our list to God's full revelation of Himself through Scripture, you think, boy, that person's a little tone deaf. And it reminded me of the way that I pray sometimes. I think God takes it all. He wants connection. But as we mature and as we grow in prayer and as we seek to answer God in prayer, I think our prayer shifts a little bit. And I think our desire grows because we want to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And that was the first request that Jesus uttered in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a perfect answer to God, to who he is, to his revelation. And so prayer cultivates our desire for God it cultivates our desire for God's goodness to come into our lives and into the world through our lives and the bottom line is if you want to improve your if you want to increase your desire you'll improve your environment how much air how much prayer is in your environment how much prayer is in your soul how regular is it is it just a few seconds before each meal is it Carved out in specific times throughout the day, or is it a come and go relationship, a conversational relationship with God where you're praying throughout difficult conversations that you're having with human beings, or you're praying when you're in a tough spot, or you're praying when you see something that brings joy into your heart and you just mention that to God and get prayer thanks. How often is prayer in your life? How much prayer are you getting? How much air is your soul getting? Now, the next one I thought of is gratitude. I think gratitude is absolutely essential, and I think gratitude is like the soil. I think gratitude is the soil in which desire can grow, perhaps more than than anything else. And I believe that desire for God grows more and grows better in a place where gratitude is present than where there's just fear or there's anger or there's bitterness. That when we have gratitude in our souls, and we have gratitude to God, that our desire for God will grow in the soil of that gratitude. Now, if we think carefully about this, gratitude unlocks joy in our lives. And I was thinking, well, what about the people that are experiencing loss? What about the people that are really struggling? What about the people that are just trying to make it through the day? And they come here, and I tell them, well, read your Bible more, and pray more, and be grateful. And they're like, I just lost my wife, or I just lost this, or I just, I'm struggling. And my mind went to something we'd read recently in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. And it's the heart of the gospel, and I would say even on your worst day, even on your darkest day, you can be grateful for this. See what Paul had to say in Romans 3, 21 through 24. He said, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. I don't know about you, but I struggle with the law sometimes. <laughs> I'm not going to stand up here and say I get it right 100% of the time. I struggle with the law sometimes. And as I read this book, pretty much everybody other than Jesus who has ever walked on this earth has struggled with the law, some of us quite a bit. And yet on our darkest day, we can rejoice that now a righteousness from God apart from the law, there's a way to be in right standing with God apart from the law, even though we've messed that up a little bit, we can be in right standing with God. It's been made known to us. This righteousness, verse 22, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That is good news. That is the gospel. And the gospel is good news even on your darkest day. There is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're in good company when we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody else has. But all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Whatever loss, whatever struggle, whatever difficulty, we can be grateful for that. We can be grateful for the gospel. And if you're hearing that for the first time, you can respond in faith to the good news of the gospel. And begin a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, Paul says, for the churched and the unchurched. For the believing and the heathen, as one pastor said once. For those who are in a relationship with God and those who are far from God. From the preacher to the addict. We can all freely come to God. That's the good news of the gospel, and we can be grateful for that every single day of our lives. But there's another element to this, to gratitude, that kept coming to mind, and I don't know what to call it other than a sense of wonder. And that gratitude, and you combine that with a sense of wonder... It cultivates a desire for God in a really unique and special way. And I think it's why Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to children. And if you've been spending time around children, you know children have a pervasive sense of wonder. Everything is, wow, look at that. That's amazing. And I've been real intentional in about the last 12 months of cultivating a sense of wonder. It blows my mind that planes can fly through the sky. thing weighs tons, and it's able to be maneuvered by this this little handle and transport people or transport things from place to place at incredible speeds. That that blows my mind. And so every time now that I hear those fighter jets or I hear an airliner come over, instead of grumbling at the noise, I look and I say, wow, that's amazing. I've mentioned birds before. I became a bird nerd in the last year, and I just marvel at the sweetness of their song or the color of their feathers or the way that they can perch up on the power line above my house and look down at the little field behind my house and then dive down and catch something. That's amazing to me. What inspires wonder in you? And could you cultivate that sense of wonder and give God grace, gratitude for it, And watch what happens in in your desire, in your soul, in your spirit as you hunger and thirst for God more and more. Gratitude cultivates a desire for God. It cultivates a desire for God's goodness, for more people to be aware of the God who loves them and who created them for a relationship with them. And so we share and we serve and we help others to come to that realization. How's your soil? How's your soil? Is it dark and rich and full of nutrients or is it hard? and crusty, and void of nutrients? Is it filled with the toxicity of complaint, or gossip, or something else? Gratitude cultivates a desire for God, and if you want to improve your, your environment, it will increase your desire. Last, and certainly not least, I decided the Holy Spirit was the water. Now, you could have said the Holy Spirit was the air. Again, if you want to rewrite the sermon, go for it. I decided the Holy Spirit was the water. It's all symbolic. But when we think about the Holy Spirit coming into us and taking up necessity, we need the Holy Spirit. Water is an absolute necessity for these plants. If we had done everything right and never watered this plant, would it have grown? No. It wouldn't have. And unlike this plant, you can't get too much of the Holy Spirit, right? Right? You just keep coming back for more. You keep coming back for more. But without it, we'll shrivel up and die. Paul said something interesting about the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. He says, the spirit of him, in verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Jesus said, I will put springs of living water within you. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you if we lean into that Spirit, if we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit, not just dragging the Spirit along to bless our program, but seeking to get on the Spirit's path and keeping in step with the Spirit, then we'll begin to mature and to bear fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and we'll replicate those things in the lives of others. That's what fruit does. Fruit has seeds, and it plants those seeds, and it scatters those seeds, and then the whole process starts over again, and that's the desire, that we don't just have to cultivate desire in our own lives for God. We could cultivate desire in the lives of others for God. We could help them to see this good God who loves them, and who created them, and who has desire for them, And we keep in step with the Spirit by doing the things we've already been talking about, by spending time in His Word, by spending time in prayer, by spending time being grateful and celebrating. Celebrating is when people get grateful together and we celebrate God's goodness. And the Holy Spirit works in these things to cultivate a desire in us for God. And so as we think about our bottom line, improve your environment to increase your desire, how much Holy Spirit, how much water is in your environment. Are you regularly putting yourself in a situation where you're dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Are you serving? Are you giving to, to a point that the Spirit has to empower what you're doing and bless what you're doing for others? And like I said, we can't get too much. Now, I can overwater these plants. I have a talent for killing plants. Um, it's, it's one of my most consistent talents. Somebody brought me a plant a week ago, or a month ago, and I haven't killed it yet. In fact, it looked pretty peaked at first, and it's perking up. And they said, really, Mark, all you have to do is give it half a cup of water once a week. That's it. I said, oh, you found me a Mark-proof plant. He if i got to do anything but give it a half a cup of water once a week, that thing is going to die. And right now, it's looking pretty good. And on Monday mornings, I always have a collection of water bottles that my kids opened up and left in my office. And so I find one that's about half full, and I dump it in the plant, and we're doing good four weeks in. And that plant has an environment. It's a hardy plant. It's It's not finicky, but it has everything it needs. It has access to light. It has air. It has good soil, and it's getting the water that it needs. What about you? What about your life? I want to circle back to Psalm 73 as we close, and I want to read the two verses that preceded the verses we opened with. So if you have a thumb in Psalm 73, you can go back there, otherwise it's on the screen. But before the psalmist comes to this conclusion, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you, he starts with, in verse 23, yet I am always with you. And it's a turning point in the psalm. If you read all of Psalm 73 or if you read it recently, it's mostly a complaint. It's mostly issues. It's mostly problems. And as it comes to a close, the psalmist shifts gears and says, yeah, all that is true, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. So then, whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist is modeling the combination of God's Word, of prayer, of gratitude, trusting the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide. The one intangible that we haven't talked about yet is time. It's time. You can't rush this process. It doesn't happen overnight. If you think at the close of this service, you can Go through a little checklist and you'll, you'll see your desire go up and to the right. It doesn't necessarily work that way. I wish I could tell you that it did. Everything is present here but time. And we don't have a plant. Yet with some intentionality and with some faithfulness, there'll be a plant here eventually. And if your soul feels more like this than like this, give it time. Cultivate faithfulness. Trust God. Storms may come. And that's the last reality on this. Storms may come. We could put this baby in the ground in a couple more weeks and get a foot of snow. And it's done. And we'll start over. And we'll cultivate a new environment where that plant might grow. And the same may have to happen in your life when disappointments come, when the storms of life come, and you feel like you're starting over. You're not. You've learned some things. You found God to be faithful in the midst of those storms. So which area in your life needs the most improvement? As we consider improving our environment to increase our desire, which area in your life needs the most improvement? And depending on where you are on that spectrum, on that continuum, if you're towards this end, where your desire from God is not growing, you might ask a follow-up question, who could help me? Who do I know that seems to be on this end that could help me cultivate desire, that could help me become regular in the Word, that could help me become more regular in prayer, that could help me cultivate desire through gratitude or through learning to trust the Holy Spirit? Who could help me? Or if you're on this end of the continuum, I would encourage you to look over here and say, who could I help? This is essentially disciple-making, one person seeking to be made a disciple, someone else seeking to make disciples. And if disciple-making sounds, ooh, I don't know if I can do that, just consider yourself a gardener in somebody else's soul, that you can come and help cultivate an environment where desire for God would grow. And you could do that through His Word, through prayer, through gratitude, through the Holy Spirit, and through time. So Wherever you are, you have a step to take you have an opportunity. May we be a people who take our next step and take it in faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it speaks to us. Thank you for the miracle of growth, both in the plant kingdom and also in our own souls. That wherever we are in that continuum, there's another step to take. There's an opportunity for us to improve our environment in order to increase our desire for you. I pray, Lord, that nobody in this room, nobody watching this online, nobody listening to this would say, No, I desire God enough. I don't want to desire him anymore. I pray that you would help us to identify where we can improve our environment. And then to be faithful to do that. And whether that means inviting somebody else into the mix to help us become more faithful. Or we seek somebody out and seek to come alongside them. And be a gardener in their soil. Would you have your way in these moments? In Jesus' name we pray.